looking to step up to the microphone, where we step up for our faith in walking out God's commands and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Step Up to the Microphone podcast. This week's Torah portion is Leviticus 26.3 to the end of the Leviticus with a half Torah portion in Jeremiah 16.19 through 17.14 and some New Testament from the book of Matthew and the book of John. Thank you for joining us. If you follow my statutes and faithfully observe my commands, I will give you rain at the right time, and the land will yield its produce. Um, in the trees. Okay. Um, does anybody have an interlinear right off the top of their uh, heads or hands? I do. Um, whenever in that first verse, can you look up the word follow? Yeah, give me one second. It's a big old thing. Is this? I saw a video this week. I forget the name of the relatively new creator, but he's just doing super awesome Hebrew. Um, right. Where is it? It should be the word follow. Yeah. 26 3. Um, say third word. Three. And it, I imagine it's probably the same in Psalm 110 or 111 verse. It's pretty cool. So, the verse. Um, so, I don't see the word follow in there. What do you see? Keep. Or walk. Or walk. Um, wait, I totally forgot. I can actually get on the... Um, you said it's Leviticus 20, which uh, chapter and verse? Uh, 26 and this verse 3. My other Bible says remember. There's two. If you follow my statutes and faithfully observe my commands. So there's two verbs. So the first one is H1980. There was a video, and I think, um, like the brother was saying, um, the way he brought it out is there's a word that is always translated like if to do, like an action, but actually the entire time it's Shema, and I was thinking that was it, but I guess not. I'm sorry. Actually, yeah. I think that is it, because I have the commentary up in the Kumash, Aha. And, I can, and I can read it real quick. Do, please. Do if you will follow my decrees... This, this verse contains three phrases that seem to be repetitious. Their combined meaning is as follows. You will follow my decrees by engaging in intense, intensive Torah study with the intention that such study will lead to observe my commandments properly. If you actually do perform them, you will merit the blessings given in the following verses. 
The uh, point of the video that I saw this week was saying that, like, you keep the words. You when you receive the word, it changes who you are and what yep. you do. And it was like that. It, it reminded me of Yeshua's teaching on, "You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you." Where the word that He speaks to us changes us, and then once we're cleansed by Him, we begin to act more cleanly as well. So it, it comes to follow that we are right, what well, he says we are. Yep. When we walk in his righteousness, it cleans us. All right, Chris, are you, are you good? Or do you want to talk about something else in this verse? Go ahead. I'm listening. I'm curious, and um, you guys probably have good insight here, too. So if you follow my statutes and observe my commands, the different words there, um, my understanding has been that statutes is often the uh, um, the more, like the what people would call ceremonial commands or like the more personal, but commandments is more general. Ordinances is more like legislative. Um, okay. Um, I have I have the KJV with the Strong's up right now, and the word statutes is H twenty seven oh eight, and meaning sustainability. Sustainability, the same. Appointed custom manner ordinance site statute, and then commandments is H forty six eighty seven. A command, whether human or divine, collectively the law. Which was commanded law, ordinance, about, or precept. How about is there a difference between commands and commandments? Mm -hmm. Like in this verse. Mitzvah, mitzvot, mitzvahim. Um, down in verse 14, when we get there, we I actually see all three. I see commands. Um, commands, statutes, and ordinances. And um, when people break down ceremonial, moral, and civil, um, they all endure as the eternal commandments. Um, but some are more instructions for like ministry, slash like priesthood, um, and others for like, individuals, um, more personal. Uh, and then the Others for like governments, like what a um, a governing authority body should uh, should institute as the law of the land. <clears throat> but it's in times like this where I think that we actually really overcome. Um, there's the arguments that um, like parts of the law passed away, but continually you see everlasting instructions where it's the where the commands, the statutes, and the ordinances are all established eternally together at the same time over and over again Got anything else on that on that one? Mm -hmm. 
I think that sets a good kind of good foundation for this. These are Leviticus 26, along with like Deuteronomy 28, are just really, yeah, uh, are, are both like the the terms and conditions. Of the yeah, covenants. pretty much, pretty much. All right, well, let, let, let's continue reading them. So we're on verse four. Then I will okay. provo- I will provide your rains in their time, and the land will give its produce, and the tree of the field will give its fruit. Your threshing will last until the vintage. The vintage will last until the sowing. You will eat your bread to satiety, and you will dwell securely in your land. I will provide peace in the land, and you will lie down with none to frighten you. I will cause wild beasts to withdraw from the land, and a sword will not cross your land. You will pursue your enemies, and they will fall before you by the sword. Five of you will pursue a hundred, and a hundred will pursue ten thousand. Your enemies will fall before you by the sword. I will turn my attention to you. I will make you fruitful and increase you. I will establish my covenant with you. You will eat very old grain and remove the old to make way for the new. I will place my sanctuary amongst you, and my spirit will not reject you. I will walk among you. I will be God unto you, and you will be a people unto me. I am Hashem, your God, who took you out of the land of Egypt from being their slaves. I broke the staves of your yoke, and I led you erect. But if Uh, you will... All right. So, um... Let me jump back there right quick. I'm switching in between apps. Um... Verse 11, I'm using the, the CSB. 11, I will place my residence among you. I will not reject you. I will mock, walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. This is the exact same language of Revelation. So when people have this idea of God coming down and, and dwelling with people in the New Testament, this was already firmly established in the Old Testament, but just a different way of looking at it so I, I just find it funny that they both I don't like saying new and old but the front of the book confirms the back of the book and the back of the book confirms the front of the book I uh, declare the end from the beginning yeah I like calling it the Tanakh and the apostolic scriptures I don't call them old or new anymore right Tanakh is so cute too it's like the acronym for it mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Um, something I see here, it brings us all the way back to the first page, um, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. But in this time, the subject is reversed. Um, we have an imperative in the first chapter of the Bible where be fruitful and multiplies. You know, one of the initial commandments, it's the great, it's the first commission and the great commission of to um, go and make disciples of all nations. Um, the and but here. The subject, the doer, is Yahweh, who will turn to us and make us fruitful and multiply us. As in, and the you is we, Israel, has chosen people. And that we are caused then to fulfill this commission of being fruitful and multiplying. And that's, you know, Jesus, Yeshua just like, puts this on really clearly and John 15 and his script in the Last Supper too, where 
that uh, in him we bear much fruit. His will for us is that we do bear much fruit for his glory. Apart from him, we can bear none. And it's, um, yeah, I just, I love to see, uh, I love to see that, that being received here. And I will turn to you. We have the, we have repent as having an English connotation of to turn, but versus the, the Greek, the metanoia. And I'm sure you have better insight than I do. Maybe you can help. Um, but the, if the, the Hebrew concept of repentance bears more of the sense of turning than perhaps metanoia does in the Greek. But if here we see him saying, I will turn to you, turning and then causing this repentance to his people. That's that. That's pretty exciting to me as we focus on verse nine. So this this is a twenty six, uh, chapter twenty six, right? That you guys yeah, over? chapter twenty six, verse nine. Um, I will uh, turn to you, make you fruitful, multiply you, and confirm my covenant with you. So, and you guys went to. I thought I heard you guys go to like thirteen, where it says, "I'm the I am Hashem your God took you out of the land of Egypt." Yes. Yeah. Okay. We're, we're there. Okay. So I I just kind of jumped in a little bit late. Um. So there's a couple things that are interesting. It says, I broke the staves of your yoke and I led you erect. Um, so two aspects here. One is that this is speaking of like Sinai, everything else being led through the wilderness and saying that your yoke has been broken and now you are led erect. Um, essentially, like uh, from a very literal meaning. Um, when you no longer have a burden on you, the burden's been lifted, you can now stand upright. Um, so this concept that, uh, many read into the new Testament of that, like this yoke that's being lifted, it's not the yoke of God because he's saying that he's leading you through the wilderness and like the yoke has been lifted. So what yoke is there? It's the yoke of man. It's the yoke of this you know, oppression against what God wants you to do. What God wants you to do is freeing and it's liberating. Um, and so there's, there's that aspect. Um, there's the other aspect of saying that I've lifted the yoke and I've led you erect, which on a spiritual sense, you wouldn't need to say that I lifted the yoke and I led you while you didn't have a yoke. That doesn't like, why duplicate yourself? Every word of the Torah has meaning. So there must be a double meaning behind this. And so to say that more on a spiritual sense, before they were spiritually deprived, um, being in the land, they were not able to have that, that bond, that relationship because of the oppression and everything else. As much as they wanted to, they wanted to go out into the desert. They wanted to sacrifice they wanted to praise their God, but they couldn't. They were being held back from it. So they're under this other, the spiritual yoke. And then once they're actually freed from that, they're able to fully express uh, their love, their gratitude, and build that relationship with Hashem. So it's a beautiful instance where, 
where Yahshua meets the woman who's bent over under the burden and lifts her yoke when he and he's in the setting where he's illustrated that freedom on Shabbat. The Christian Standard Bible uh, takes a bit of liberty with this, breaking away from literal translation where it says, I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to live in freedom. And you described how this enabling to walk uprightly is uh, involved with uh, lifting that burden of where we want to. We are The law has written on our hearts and we want to obey him. We want to do what's right. We want to stand up straight and walk up straight. We don't want to bend down under the heavy yoke of the oppression of Egypt. And when he, and he's the one then who, just like that woman bent over in the synagogue, who he lifts the burden from our back so that way we are enabled and freed to walk the way we were made to. Y'all have anything else y'all want to talk about in that that section, or are you already Confirm, confirmation of the covenant at the same moment is pretty exciting. Like it's not that I will that I will establish a brand new. Like, um, I will confirm my covenant, the everlasting covenant with you. That's that's pretty exciting to me. Verse 14, but if you do not obey me and observe all these commands, if you reject my statutes and despise my ordinances and do not observe all my commands and break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will bring terror on you, wasting disease and fever that will cause your eyes to fail and your life to ebb away. You will sow your seed in vain, because your enemies will eat it. I will turn against you, so that you will be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you, and you will flee, even though no one is pursuing you. But if after these things you will not obey me, I will proceed to discipline you seven times for your sins. I will break down your strong pride. I will make your sky like iron and your land like bronze. And your strength will be used up for nothing. Your land will not yield its produce. And the trees of the land will not bear their fruit.
So I'm going to read the commentary out of the Kumash for verses 14 to 15. Because I found it, I was reading out of the Tanakh earlier this week, and I found that amazing that we can annul the covenant by disobedience. So the admonition has begun with a chain reaction of sin composed of seven steps, each one leading to the next. You will not dedicate yourselves to Torah study, eventually stop performing commandments, be revolted by others who are loyal to the Torah, hate the sages who expound the ordinances, prevent others from being observant. Deny that God gave the commandments, i.e. they are my ordinances, and deny the very existence of God who made the covenant. This is the only place in the chapter where specific sins are listed. The later series of seven punishments are based on Israel's apathetic or negative attitude toward God's wrath, for the national apathy toward the divine reaction to sin is tantamount to a stubborn continuation of those very same sins. I just thought that was interesting, the, the commentary, given the, the different sins or the steps of how that would happen. And I was listening to uh, Daily Torah on Kabad, and they go through the portions, and they kept on saying, look at the sevens in this chapter. They're all over. The sevens can be blessings or they can be curses. We live not on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's written near here. And, of course, Jeshua remembers that. And um, uh, one thing that's interesting of that progression is if you stop eating, you stop walking because you don't have the strength to do it. And then you die. The um, covenant is also broken by by Israel, as we'll see, beginning with a rebellion, of course, that lasts a long time, but the, um, but ultimately it's it's concluded when you know, after a millennium of adultery and abuse and murder and violence, puts her away and gives a certificate of divorce to, to seal the deal. So they break the covenant, but but he he ends it. Before confirming it again, when the when its terms are fulfilled by Yeshua the Messiah. And, and very specifically, here Moshe predicts the Babylonian exile, which is pretty impressive. That they'll be caused to be ruled over by foreign nation to see that so literally fulfilled in Jeremiah so means that he he entered this agreement knowing how it would go and how he would end it how he would restore it he had resurrection in mind from, from the start from the birth and conception
We are ready to continue. Yeah. All right. Where were I posted we? something in the let's talk just for anyone that wants to read it, just more on that uh that same verse that I was yeah. commenting on. Yeah, I'm reading it right now. All right. We let's uh what verse were we in again, Stevie? We read through to um, verse 20. Okay. Your strength will be used up for nothing. Your land will not yield its produce, and the trees of the land will not bear their fruit. Okay. Okay. I'll pick up at 21. Uh, if you be behave casually with me and refuse to heed me, then I shall lay fur a further blow upon you seven ways like your sins. I will incite the wildlife the field against you and it will leave you bereft of your children decimate your livestock and diminish you and your roads will become desolate i will despite these you will like if despite these you will not be chastised toward me and you behave casually with me and i too will behave toward you with casualness and i will strike you even i seven ways for your sins i will bring upon you a sword avenging the vengeance of a covenant you will be gathered into your cities and I will send a pestilence among you, and you will be delivered into the hand of your enemy. When I break for you the staff of bread, ten women will bake your bread in one oven. They will bring back your bread by weight. You will eat and not be sated. If Stop. Okay. Can we interlinear the word for casually? Oh, y'all want y'all want me to do that? Uh, yeah. If you have the interlinear for it, that'd be awesome. Right. Yeah, um, Give me just a second. It comes up in uh twenty three. It's in twenty four. What verse is this that you guys are looking at? Uh, 23 and 24. What word were you looking for? Um, it's translated casually. So it's, um, if in spite of these things, you do not accept my discipline, but act with uh, this, the Christian standard battle with hostility toward me, then I will act with hostility toward you. But I'm sure it's been like casually. 
Um, so this one says contrary instead of hostility. I don't know what the casually. Uh, it's eight seventy-one forty-seven, Winnie. It's what? I wonder if it's faithlessly. I wonder if it's faithlessly some places too. Contrary. Contra uh, yeah, I, I put the 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 strong concordance. It's H seventy one forty seven is the concordance number on it. Y'all know I'm reading out of like an actual interlinear, right? Not a strong. Like the one with the automatic uh, virtual one with a link to the concordance. No, like I'm reading out of like an actual interlinear. Yeah, that's awesome. Not. Yeah. I don't know about Maybe, do you want the strongs? Because. I'm just curious what that word is exactly. Like, it seems like if we break, it's. If you act with hostility or casualness or contrary. Uh, the strongs hmm. means like a hostile encounter. Hmm. And are unwilling to obey me, so it's like I, yeah, this reminds me of Yahshua's teaching, like what type, what he messages to John. He says that you know, blessed is the one who is not offended by me, who's not put off, who's not repulsed, because we we all we all know that there are many in the world who are offended and repulsed by the. Uh, um, both the testimony of Yeshua and the Torah. And then in Psalm 139 and so many other places where things are written into, like who are the enemies, who are the hated ones, and it's the, it's the those who hate God and are rebellious against him. I don't want him. I definitely don't want to obey him. to those he promises the same treatment it's also if you deny me before the father if you deny me before people I will deny you before the father if we don't do what he asks of us to do why would he give us what we ask for He promises to strike seven times for the sins. You see that repetitively. A couple brought That's on. I, figured, I finally figured it out. So. The numbers. <laughs> it is the um, contrary, though. Is the, the word that they put in the interlinear. Interesting. So it's and it's a hostile encounter. It's it's a rejection and disobedience. Yeah, it's it's basically like if my son my son has a disorder where it's I forget what it's called, but he basically gets hostile whenever I ask him to do something if he hasn't had his medicine. So it's basically like that. 
Oppositional defiance disorder? Yep. Yeah, ODD. But yeah, he literally gets defiant and sometimes he can get violent if he doesn't have his medicine. So it's kind of like that because I see it with some of the mainstream Christians that I'm related to where I'm like, well, I would rather eat clean. They get defiant. They don't want to do it. They they can get very mean and rude very quickly. So they're acting contrary. Mm-hmm. They're acting hostile and they're acting casual. That's a thing that I hear often too. Like, God doesn't care about what I eat. God doesn't care about how I dress. Like that mainstream Christianity thing was very offended by instructions for haircuts and grooming and versus those who delight in that, who love a father who comes enough to tell their tell their children what's yummy and what's yucky. Yep. (laughs) So let's I got some questions in the last talk, but I have to go eat, so enjoy thinking about those. Okay. It says, I will not take delight in the pleasing aroma of your fire offerings, but the temple of God says, what are these pleasing aromas and fire offerings without a temple? Hmm. We can get to these after the, we can talk about these here in a little bit. Let's continue in the tour portion and y'all think on these questions a little bit. Um. What verse were we at again? We're about to go into 27. Okay. Despite this, you will not heed me, and you behave toward me with casualness. I will behave toward you with a fury of casualness. I will chastise you, even I, seven ways for your sins. You will eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters, will you eat? I will destroy your lofty buildings and decimate your son idols. That's pretty interesting because most. Bibles don't say sun idols, they just say idols. So it's pointing out the sun god worship. Mine says sun pillars. Mm-hmm. Where is this again? Tw- and 30. Destroy your high places, cut down your yeah. shrines. Uh, CSB yeah. has a footnote or incense altars. Yep. In fact, that's one of the things I wrote whenever I was reading the Tanakh earlier this week. Is I noticed it said sun idols in the uh, in the Hebrew in the Hebrew Bible. Um, you can tell me that uh, uh, not right now, <laughs> if you want. Um, but a question I have about this incense um, is like connection to marijuana, where you have you're burning a plant with in like a spiritual context and there's an appropriate use for the incense but also an inappropriate use for the incense uh, and uh, i've been just every time that i've that's just kind of been like a, a lingering ponder for me and i don't know if any of you have any insight into that as to like the potential connection between incense and psychoactive herbs In the questions, uh, put it in the chat, and that way we can think about it. And come back to it. 
Okay. Then I will cast your carcasses upon the carcasses of your idols, and my spirit will reject you. That's pretty strong language right there. He will re he rejects us for for that. Um, I'm gonna read. Let's see where it is. The commentary for verse thirty. Towers and castles, the people placed their confidence in the high towers from, from which they would be able to repulse invaders, but God would destroy the buildings, leaving the people helpless against their enemies. Upon the carcasses of your idols, when they felt death was near, they would take out their idols to kiss them and then fall dead over them. So that kind of tells us about the culture right there. They trusted their... their... uh things made of wood and stone more than they did God. Um, and will reject you. Once God removes his presence from the temple, it loses its holiness and is no longer his temple, as it was described in verse 11. Therefore, the next verse speaks of the desolation of your sanctuaries. Do I have anything on that? Want to talk about that at all? Yes, please. What are your thoughts, Winnie? Um, when you said that, it remind me, reminded me of the part in Revelation where it says, uh, and there, I, I will take my light out of them or something along those lines. There will be no more light in them. I don't know. It just kind of, it put me back to there. And I know that there's somewhere... I will, I will remove my spirit from them. Is that what you're thinking about in Revelation? Yeah. It was very interesting. Revelation 2.5 is what it pulled them up. Give me a second. I'll read it out the TLV. Remember then from where you have fallen, repent and do the deeds you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your menorah from its place unless you repent. Is that what you were thinking of? I'm also read it out of the New English translation. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it does sound a lot like it. Removing a spirit, because what, what is the spirit if we're thinking about it? I mean, what's the first thing that was created was the light, his light, which is his Torah, his law, his spirit. And his Torah is life. It's a, <laughs> it's a lamp into our feet. Yep. Good catch. That that was the Holy Spirit because that one just popped into my head. I was like, okay. And um, having just read Revelation recently, there's the uh, uh, image of seven torches. Revelation one, like the illustration of a um, of a menorah, basically. Let's see if I can. Here, um, Revelation one twenty, the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and of the seven gold lampstands. 
Seven lampstands. Seven stars are the angels, seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Yeah, chapter two was about um, the church in Ephesus. Yeah, the church in Ephesus. Correct. And I think that they mentioned it again too. The, um, you know, Yeah, it's amazing once you do the do the hermeneutics, you understand what's being said so much easier. And once you understand that, there's no way you really want to break God's law because you see how good and holy it is. Amen. The um is we just talking about removing a lampstand? Um Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus, thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Dot, dot, dot. Remember how far, then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yep. You don't want that to happen. What was the... I kind of lost it. I'm also getting my son ready for bed. What was the verse here in Leviticus 26? It talks about the removal. Oh, verse 30. Uh, my spirit will reject you is what it said. So basically that's like saying that we know the spirit and the law are intertwined together. So you're rejecting the Torah, then the spirit rejects you in turn. Interesting, too, that there's seven continents. Not that Antarctica has much of a population to speak for. Or where? Yeah. Thinking about that image then of the whole world. So in Psalm 27, it says, Adonai is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? So there's another... Um, Witness to the light factor. Proverbs 6.23. My light and my salvation. I love every time we see salvation, it's Yeshua, right? Yes. In Hebrew word. <laughs> and Yeshua is the light of the world and our yep. salvation. Mm-hmm. So Proverbs 6.23 for the mitzvah is a lamp, Torah a light, and corrective discipline the way of life. Okay, I'm going to continue in verse 31 if you are ready. I will lay your cities in ruin. And I will... Make your sanctuaries desolate. I will not say, savor your satisfying aromas. I will make the land desolate, and your foes who dwell upon it will be desolate. And you I will scatter among the nations. I will unsheath the sword after you. Your land will be desolate, and your cities will be a ruin. So then the land will be at peace for its sabbaticals during all the years of its desolation. While you are in the land of your foes, then the land will rest, and it will be at peace for its sabbaticals. All the years of his desolation, it will rest. 
whatever it did not rest during your sabbaticals when you dwelt upon her. What so cool. <laughs> the Babylonian exile. As long as it lies desolate, we'll have the rest it did not have during your Sabbath when you lived there. And the years of Jubilee, which were forsaken, the total amount up to the 70 years of exile. Um, but I was actually a little before that, that it was hitting me. Um, the, I was recalling Isaiah 61. Here, your land will become desolate and your cities will become ruins. And just uh, Isaiah 62 is just talking about your land will no longer be called desolate, but it will be called married. In covenant, Baluga is the Hebrew name that Isaiah 62. Um, but also Isaiah 61, which immediately follows, talks about some of you, some of you will restore the ancient ruins. I just love this. That's, that's what is occurring and it's so exciting to participate in is restoring these ancient ruins, these cities, these congregations of obedient, faithful, Go to Sheen. Oh, the gift went to the Messiah who's come and made this possible. It's with us to the very end. Also, think about the sabbaticals, the, the years of the Northern Kingdom. Uh, if anyone's paid attention, the big Torah movement really started in the United States. I want to say 19, no, 2009. So if you do the math, uh, I'll have to find the video. I'll put it up here. But they did the math, and it lines right up because Ephraim did not come back after the 409, or I forget how many years, but they didn't come back. So their punishment was given to them seven times more. I just find that interesting as well. It's just the predictions. Like there's mm -hmm. just such clear foresight here of Yahoo who does declare the end from the beginning. Like that verse, as long as it lies desolate, it will have the rest it did not have during your Sabbath when you live there. It's yeah. just <laughs> it's beautiful. So I'll continue in verse 36 now. Uh, the survivors among you all bring weakness into their hearts. In the lands of their foes, the sound of a rustling leaf will pursue them. They will flee as one flees the sword, and they will fall, but without a pursuer. They will stumble over one another as in flight from the sword, but there is no pursuer. You will not have the power to withstand your foes. You will become lost among the nations. The land of your foes will devour you. Because of their iniquity, your remnant will disintegrate into the, in the lands of your foes. And because the iniquities of their forefathers are with them as well, they will disintegrate. Then they will confess their sin and the sin of their forefathers for the treachery with which they betrayed me. And also for having behaved toward me with casualness. I too will behave toward them with casualness and I will bring them into the land of their enemies. Perhaps then their unfeeling heart will be humbled and they will gain appeasement for their sin. That's amazing because that's something else that I noticed started happening right around 2009 is people were actually saying, yeah, we haven't been obeying the word. And now we see all this, all these good fruits happening. Um, I don't know if y'all have ever looked at the Fellowship 119 Ministries a year ago. 
there are some big blank spots on it over North America. Now it's like a big black blob. Yeah, I totally, when I looked at the Fellowship Finder last year, I was like, oh, wow, there's a, quite a few people. And then t- this year, I was like, oh, wow, there was a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's because we're turning back. We're saying, you know, we broke the covenant. We're apologizing for it. And the more we apologize on our fruit show, because it's like I've told people before, they're like, why don't you go out and try to evangelize? I'm like, because my actions should evangelize for me. I mean, my walk should do it for me. And if they want to ask questions, I'm not going to push it on them because that could, could become hostile. But if my actions speak for me, then they'll start asking me questions. And that's how I normally get people to talk to me and ask me about stuff. That's how I got a few co-workers to actually talk to me because they saw my actions were different. They saw I, was, I wasn't acting the way I used to because I repented of what I was doing. Paul made tents and went to church and talked to church for a lot of times where he held still for a year or two without any converts. It wasn't all the fresh, beautiful introduction of Peter and John just after Pentecost where thousands come and believe. So that faithfulness, that walk is just that like strength and courage too. Don't don't hide. Um and definitely speak. But also in the proper context, like how much evangelism that Paul did in the synagogues is um to really be telling for us like there is a good place for it. And yep. he was yeah, able yeah. to and uh, I have another point from um, about the, the fleeing, the sound of a wind-driven leaf, but did you have something about more about that, like, faithful walk? What verse was it? Or what you're seeing? Uh, or, or to sound like you want to say It actually has some commentary on it. That the survivors among you, i.e. those whose weakness remains intact despite the penalties given above, a rustling leaf. Our Yehuda ben Karak said, Once we were sitting among the trees when a gust of wind caused the leaves to rustle, we got up and ran away, saying, Woe is to us if the Roman cavalry catches us. After a while, we turned around and saw no one. So we returned to our places and said, Woe is to us. For with us has been fulfilled the verse and the sound of a rustling leaf. Oh, that's pretty cool. I actually want to put here is um, a plague of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, Leviticus 26, 36 in my translation here says, I will put anxiety in the hearts of those of you who survive in the lands of their enemies. The sound of a wind-driven leaf will put them to flight. and They will flee as one flees from the sword. It's really just a wind-driven leaf. And fall, though no one is pursuing them. They will stumble over one another as if fleeing from a sword, though no one is pursuing them. You're not be able to stand against your enemies. I don't, um, I don't know. Um, for, for some reason, like Elise Myers, um, really popular TikToker comes to mind right now of like, and just, um, kind of like, um, 
a wave and a trend of anxiety. Um, generalized anxiety disorder is what kind of what was on my mind when I was hearing this at first, where it's like you don't really have a cause for it. You're just kind of anxious all the time. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I like, see that. My wife has that issue, and they put on medication. It really didn't help. And I was like, well, the problem is you're not in the word, and you're not being obedient. When you're not obedient, he lets you be anxious and stressed out. Do, do you know what drives out all fear? It's, it's perfect love. And it's and how do we remain in perfect love? The one who keeps my commandments is the one who remains my love. Like, yep. it's, um, and it's just these instructions. And remember, it's perfect there. That's just flawless. Be perfect as your father is perfect. doesn't necessarily mean being um like um 100 all the time now because our flesh is still enslaved to sin but um when there's Have integrity right and i think that there's just a lot of our disputes have to do with least of the commandments those which are not punishable at all in the torah by death such as missing a feast day or, or um eating an unclean animal is not something that someone would be stoned for. But, and that's a criticism that comes from mainstream Christians who are very close often, who do, who are very well versed in the Bible, but cannot accept the entirety of the Torah because of the least of the commandments. But the thing is, I think that you have, when you have like 98% faithfulness or acceptance, that's a place where Satan's pretty happy. Because it's not quite perfect love. And if you have that imperfection there, that little crack, um, a lot of uh, a lot of water can come through a little crack in the dam. Yeah. And a lot of fear and anxiety can persist and remain. So yeah. It's, you don't it, have, have to work. Up. And I remember I had, used to have a boat and it had a little seam and it barely leaked, but it gave was enough to where I could not take it, take it out and go fishing because the seam was busted. So all it takes is that little bit. Yeah, and that's and that's why we talk about little things, which are really actually pretty easily easy switches, but they make a huge difference. Yeah, like, and a bunch of it is we've removed so much of the historical and cultural context from the Bible over the years that they sit there and they read verses and they don't put the culture and the history back into it, and, and all of a sudden. They want to fight you over it because they're thinking in this modern Western mindset instead of going back to who it was written to and the context it was written to those people in. There's right. There's so much peace too. And I, I think that a lot of it is actually just kind of recognizing when we look at other cultures, we become more aware of our own. Just as when you mm -hmm. learn another language, you become aware of your own in a way that you, you couldn't be if you were, had not studied another language. The um, We are just the, the messages of like independence, um, individuality, of like deciding for for yourself, what you're going to eat, how you're going to cut your hair, how you're going to dress, how you're going to express yourself and be true to yourself rather than, you know, let, you know, crucify all that and let Christ live through you. And I find that people are anxious about what they eat and how they dress. And those are actually, they seem to be small things from like a theological mindset, but we look at like what people are complaining about when they're anxious 
And it often has to do with those things. Eating too much, eating too little, am I eating the right things, am I eating the wrong things, what's that food? And there's peace in just resting and eating how Jesus ate and dressing how he dressed. And yep. That, it's, it's accepting that. But not, not only that, I have diverticulosis. And ever since I've started eating clean, I haven't had the problems I've had before. So just the, the blessings from it come too. The blessings from trusting that that's what's good for me. Um, I have to get my son down for, for bed. Uh, but I'd love to finish the chapter. Um, what was the last verse that was read? Um, verse 40. Do you mind if I just if I um, read the rest of the chapter and just kind of sure. listen? Thank you. Well, I'll start again at verse 40 because it's the beginning of the paragraph, my Bible at least. But when they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their ancestors, their unfaithfulness that they practiced against me and how they acted with hostility toward me, and I acted with hostility toward them and brought them into the land of their enemies, and when their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. I will also remember my covenant with Jacob, with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. And I will remember the land. For the land abandoned them abandoned by them, will make up for its Sabbaths by lying desolate without the people, while they make amends for their iniquity, because they rejected my ordinances and abhorred my statutes. Yet, in spite of this, while they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject or abhor them, so as to destroy them and break my covenant with them, since I am the Lord their God. For their sake, I will remember the covenant with their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations to be their God. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. These are the statutes, ordinances, and laws Yahweh established between himself and the Israelites through Moses on Mount Sinai. This um, strikes me as a source and root of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful, remembering, that is, and just, righteous, fulfilling his word in accordance with the scriptures, to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, restoring us to this pure identity. And, um, and I just personally, this that the amount of time balances up strikes my personal testimony pretty intensely. Because on um, August 17th, 2015, I met the woman that I would marry. And probably not, probably should not have. Then two, exactly two years after that, August 17th to the day, um, August 17th, 2017, we married. And a little over two years later, in, uh, in, uh, in 2020, separated, and just about exactly two years later, May 9th of 2022, a couple weeks ago now, um, we uh, we divorced and 
completely. And the balance here, the symmetry here, which is so striking to me, lines up with that 70 to 70, is that we lived together as if we were married for two years when we weren't married. And then when we were still married, we lived two years apart as if we were not. And just that symmetry and the also the connection of forsaking commandments and then coming back to them, returning to them, is really just uh, the Lord our God is one. The same one who lives with us today, disciplines us today, restores us today. It's the one mighty and faithful to discipline, punish and restore Israel as he did then and will again. Shalom, yeah. I'm going to read the summary of the chapter from the Kumash, if that's all right with you all. Uh, the Tokaka admonition of this chapter is one of two that are found in Torah, in the Torah. The other one is in Deuteronomy 28. Rambam explains that the two admonitions refer to different periods in Jewish history. Our chapter refers to the sins of the first temple era and its aftermath, while Deuteronomy 28 refers to the sins leading up to the second destruction and the current exile. Thus, our chapter speaks frequently of neglect of the sabbatical year as a cause of the exile a theme that is explicitly mentioned in 2 Chronicles 36.21 as a reason for the exile. Uh, although Talmud Yoma 9b gives the reason for the first exile as the sins of idolatry, immorality, and bloodshed, our chapter clearly states that the transgression of the Shemitah laws was also a factor. The second destruction, however, is attributed by the sages to the sin of hatred without cause. Another major proof that our chapter speaks of the First Temple era is that it does not promise either complete repentance or total redemption. The confession of verse 40 is inadequate, and verse 42 says only that God will, will remember the covenant, but not that he will return Israel to its former eminence, or that all the exiled Jews will return to the land. After the promise that God will remember the covenant, the very next verse speaks again of the violated sabbaticals, and the land bereft of its children indeed. When the Babylonian exile ended, Eretz, Israel, did not become a free country. It was a vassal state of Persia and later of Syria and Rome. When King Cyrus of Persia gave permission to the Jews to return to the land, only 42,360 did so. A pitifully small percentage of the nation, and although... All through the years of the Second Temple, the majority of Jews lived elsewhere. Babylonia, North Africa, Spain, Germany, Eastern Europe, and so on. They seek to reestablish the centers of Jewish life that they were forced to leave behind or that were destroyed. From small beginnings, they build fine institutions and achieve high levels of scholarship. But eventually comes the realization that new generations cannot eclipse the achievements of their forebears. It is human nature, however, for people constantly to seek new horizons areas where they can make a great new name for themselves. If they cannot accomplish this in the area of Torah, they will attempt to excel in the milieu of the host country. They will succeed commercially and intellectually. This will result in gradually accelerating assimilation until the Jewishness of the nation is endangered. 
At such times, the only way to preserve Israel as a people may be for an upheaval to force them to a new exile, where they will be forced to regroup and build new institutions of Torah and religious life. Thus, in our verse, God declares the reason I have rejected and have been and been revolted by them to such an extent that I have forced them into lands of their enemies. It's not because I seek to destroy them or annul my covenant. To the contrary, I am their God. Then why are they exiled? Because sometimes this is the only way to prevent them from becoming so assimilated that they disappear as a nation. That was pretty interesting. Winnie, can you start on chapter 27? Yeah, definitely. All right. And Yahweh spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When a man separates a vow by your evaluation of lives unto Yah, when your evaluation is of a male from 20 years old up to 60 years old, then your evaluation shall be 50 shekels of silver according to the shekel of the set-apart place. And if it is a female, then your evaluation shall be 30 shekels. And if from 5 years old up to 20 years old, then your evaluation for a male shall be 20 shekels, and for a female, 10 shekels. And if from a new moon old up to 5 years old, then your evaluation for a male shall be five shekels of silver. And for a female, your evaluation shall be three shekels of silver. And from 60 years old and above, if it is a male, then your evaluation shall be 15 shekels and for a female, 10 shekels. But if he is too poor to pay your evaluation, then he shall present himself before the priest, and the priest shall set a value for him, according to the ability of him who vowed. The priest shall value him, and if it is a beast of which they bring an offering to Yah, and all such to give to Yah is set apart, he is not to replace it or exchange it, uh, good for spoiled or spoiled for good. And if he at all exchanges beast for beast, then both it and the one exchanged for it is set apart. And if it is any unclean beast of which they do not bring an offering to Yah, then he shall present the beast before the priest, and the priest shall value it, whether it is good or spoiled. According to your evaluation, O priest, so it shall be. But if he indeed redeems it, then he shall add one-fifth to your evaluation. And when a man sets his house apart to be set apart to Yah, then the priest shall value it, whether it is good or spoiled. As the priest values it, so it stands. And if he who sets it apart does redeem his house, then he shall add one fifth of silver to your of your evaluation to it, and it shall be his. And if a man sets apart to Yah 
a field he owns, then your evaluation shall be according to the seed for it. A homer of barley seed at 50 shekels of silver, if he sets his field apart from the year of Yobel, is it Jubilee? According to your evaluation, it stands. But if he sets his field apart after, yeah, I think it's the Jubilee, then the priest shall reckon to him the silver due according to the years that remain till the year of Jubilee, and it shall be deducted from your evaluation. And if he who sets the field apart ever wishes to redeem it, then he shall add one-fifth of silver of your valuation to it, and it shall be his. And if he does not redeem the field, or if he has sold the field to another man, it is no longer redeemed. But the field, when it is released in the Jubilee, is set apart to Yah as a dedicated field to be in possession of the priest. And if a man sets apart to Yah the field which he has bought, which is not the field of his possession, then the priest shall reckon to him the amount of your evaluation up to the year of Jubilee, and he shall give your evaluation on that day, set apart to Yah. In the year of Jubilee, the field returns to him from whom he bought it. To him whose is the possession of the land, and all your evaluations are to be according to the shekel of the set-apart place. Twenty geras to the shekel. However, a firstborn of the beasts, which is the firstborn to Yah, no man sets it apart, whether bull or sheep, it belongs to Yah. And if among the unclean beasts, then he shall ransom it according to your evaluation and it shall add one-fifth to it. And if it is not redeemed, then it shall be sold according to your evaluation. However, whatever a man lays under ban for Yah of all that he has, man and beast, or the field of his possession, is not sold or redeemed. Whatever is laid under the ban is most set apart to Yah. No one under the, under the ban among men is ransomed, but shall certainly be put to death. And all the tithe of the land, of the seed of the land, or the fruit of the tree belongs to Yah, it is set apart to Yah. If a man indeed redeems any of his tithes, he adds one-fifth to it. And the entire tithe of the herd and of the flock, all that passes under the rod, the tenth one is set apart to Yah. He does not inquire whether it is good or spoiled, nor does he exchange it. And if he exchanges it at all, then both it and the one exchanged for are set apart. It is not redeemed. These are the commands which Yah commanded Moshe for the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. So I find it interesting in the Jubilee, that the, uh, verse 21, then when the field goes out in the Jubilee, it will be holy to Hashem like a segregated field. His ancestral heritage shall become the Kohens. So, let's see. Verse 20. 
So, but if he does not redeem or if he has sold, there are two ways in which the owner loses his right to reclaim the field in the Jubilee year. The owner chooses not to redeem it, or if he, the temple treasurer, sells it to someone else, i.e. he allows someone else to redeem it. There is one exception to this rule. The sages derive that if the owner's son redeems the field, it will go back to his father in the Jubilee, because the son is regarded as his father's equivalent regarding certain laws. That was pretty neat. Did y'all see anything in that chapter y'all wanted to talk about? All I know is I want the I want the Jubilee Law instated everywhere. I'm gonna read the commentary for 21 as well. Unless he or his son has redeemed it, the owner will not regain his field in the advent of the Jubilee. Instead, it will be divided among the Kohanim, to be the priests whose Mishmar or family group is on duty in the temple on the Yom Kippur of the Jubilee, the day when the laws take effect. However, the Kohanim, that be the priests, must pay the temple treasury for the field because sanctified property may not leave the ownership of the sanctuary unless it has been redeemed. That's pretty neat. So are they, I'm sorry, are they just loaning the field for a certain length of time? So every 50 years is what's called the Jubilee. So they they were given their inheritance and mm -hmm. then say they wanted to sell it because they, they couldn't afford to continue living. They couldn't take care of the land. They could sell it and have money to live on. And then after... 50 years, you have a chance to redeem it. So it's basically like the people were renting the land from you, would be a good uh, how I'm seeing it. So, what if you die in that 50 years? Then it goes like, to your, it, it goes to your next of kin. Okay. They have the option to, yeah. to get it back. Okay. Yep. Yeah, we see in Jeremiah that uh, his uncle comes to him while he's in prison to sell the field right before the or when they're in the Babylonian siege. So you they'd be able to either an uncle or a son or if he didn't have a son or a brother, uh, a cousin maybe, a, a next of kin could be the kinsman redeemer for the property. We actually see this in the story of Ruth and Boaz as well. Well, couldn't a, couldn't a, a daughter do it too? Because of, uh, was it Korah or something? You know, he died and the daughters were like, hey, we should get some land and uh, we should get his inheritance. And I think. I believe, I believe so. I forget what chapter that's in, though. I, I believe it's in Numbers. Or I forget where. I think so. Uh, I'm not sure either, but I, I just wonder because you were saying, you know, men or son, mm -hmm. but but if yeah. they didn't have a son, a, a daughter could do it. Mm -hmm. So, but like, even if they gave it to the temple, did the temple give it back? Did they loan it to the temple? The priest is that? I mean, is that well? What basically, if they sold it to the temple, here I'll read the commentary again. Unless he or his son has redeemed it, wait. Yeah. 
So unless he or his son has redeemed it, the owner will not regain his field with the advent of the Jubilee. Instead, it will be divided against the priest whose, whose Mishmar family group is on duty in the temple and the Yom Kippur of the Jubilee, the day when its laws take effect. However, the Kohanim must pay the temple treasury. So no, they if they sold it to the temple, they like say they vowed it to the temple, they made a vow that they're going to sell their land to the temple. Then basically the priest that whose rotation it was for Yom Kippur would have the opportunity to pay the temple treasury for the field. Because okay. you you've given it to the temple. Okay. Hmm. All right. Well, thank you. That clears it up. Yep. Hmm. Do I have any other questions in this chapter? Not what you get to our after, which is Jeremiah sixteen nineteen to seventeen fourteen, I believe. Yep. Which I was reading that earlier today out of the Tanakh, and we we should have looked you for it. It's got some really good stuff in it. What's the Jeremiah? Uh, sixteen nineteen to seventeen fourteen. <clears throat> I've got it up in mind. I I can read it. All right. Uh, Hashem, my strength, my stronghold, and my refuge in the day of travail. To you, nations will come from the ends of the earth and say, Our ancestors inherited only falsehood. You feel it, futility that has no purpose. Can a man make a god for himself? They are not gods. Therefore, behold, I inform them upon this occasion. I shall let them know of my hand and my strength, and they shall know that my name is Hashem. The sin of Judah is inscribed with an iron quill with a diamond-like fingernail engraved into the slate of their heart. In the corners of your altars. As they remember their children, so they remember their altars and their idol trees, because beside luxuriant trees upon lofty hills. O oh, worshippers on mountains in the field, your wealth, all your treasure shall I make into body, because of your high altars made in sin throughout your boundaries. You will be forced to withdraw from your heritage that I have given you, and I will put you to your work, work for your enemies in a land that you know not. For you have ignited a fire in my nostrils. It will burn forever. So says Hashem, A curse is the man who trusts in people and makes mortals his strength and turns his heart away from Hashem. He will, will be like a lone tree in the wilderness and will not seek when goodness comes. He will dwell in the arid desert in a sulfurous, uninhabited land. Blessed is the man who trusts in Hashem. Then Hashem will be his security. He will be like a tree that is planted near water which will spread its roots along brooks and will not see when heat comes, whose foliage will be ever fresh, who will not worry in years of drought, and will never stop producing fruit. The heart is most deceitful of all, and it, it is fragile. Who can know it? I, Hashem, plumb the heart and test the mind to give the man according to his ways, like the fruit of his deeds. That reminds me um, of a bunch of stuff in the New Testament where it says we will be 
judged by our works. Like a bird chirpingly attracting those that do not beget as one who amasses wealth without justice. In half his days it will desert him, and at the end, end he will be a degenerate. Like the throne of glory, exalted from the beginning, is the place of, your of our sanctuary. The hope of Israel is Hashem. All who forsake you will be shamed. Those who forsake me will be inscribed for earthly depths, for they have forsaken Hashem, the source of living waters. Heal me, Hashem, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved, for you are my praise. Mm. Wow. Verse 9 stands out because it, it says that our heart is deceitful. And I always get from people, oh, God knows my heart. And I always tell them that should terrify you. True. That terrifies me. You know what I think of when David says, search my heart? I'm like, oof. Oof. Yeah. yeah. Well, I always pray for my heart to change to the way that that our Heavenly Father wants it, because I know I'm wicked. I know my thoughts in the past, and I don't want those thoughts to return, personally. Right. I just noticed that, you know, he mentions again about um, confessing the sins of our forefathers, you know, the lies that we've inherited. I mean, just think about the lies as that we have taught our children, you know, mm -hmm. that we thought were, were his or correct, you know. Um, and that's something I do is as I confess the sin of of the lives of the four of my forefathers and the ones I've inherited and that I did in ignorance teach my children, as well as the sin of the golden calf, because we were all, you know, according, uh, I forget the scripture. Um, I think it's first, maybe first Corinthians where he's talking about we're all. We were all at the mountain. We were all under the cloud. We, you know, we're, we're supposed to think of ourselves as there, not just them, but us as well. So, you know, and we're, we're guilty of, of that golden calf in some sort of a way, we're, whether it's, it, it was, may not be literal where we had the altar, but we've all worshiped, um, in idolatrous ways in the past. So, uh, those are just things I just, they always just stand out in my mind and, and the things that I taught my children, I'm like, you know, father, forgive me. Don't hold it against them because I taught them that that was okay, you know. And now, you know, we 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 stay at odds about it because they don't walk the way that we walk. And um, but you know, I just I didn't know. I just I believed the people that were in the pulpits, and you know, we just didn't know. Yep, we we believed what we were told because. We, and I did for a long time too, because I didn't go study the history out and verify things myself. And there are things I learned about the Galatians in the past three weeks. And Winnie can attest to because she helped dig some of the stuff up. And I'm just like, oh, well, that changes everything. Mm -hmm. So. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I was, um, I've been doing some study in, um, about cultural, you know, the history and things that were going on at the time. And one of the things that, that to me gave me hope, it, 
I, I was learning about the caste system. You know, even in, in Leviticus 26, they, he was talking about, I brought you out of Egypt and, you know, that heavy yoke and brought and broke that yoke and brought you out. And that was the same, very similar to kind of what it was like. Then, you know, there was this, you, you weren't getting out of this caste system. You weren't marrying out of it. You weren't, generations of people had been in a system like this and they weren't coming out. And when Paul comes up and says, the the coming kingdom, the kingdom that that I you know that I serve that I, I'm I'm telling y'all about, there is no Jew or Gentile or male or female or Greek. Basically, that what they knew what he was saying, they were talking about there was no partiality, like you know, in that, and it gave them hope, and it, and it gave me hope because while we're not in that same kind of system, I know those systems still exist to a certain extent in other countries. But we are we are in a type of system even here, you know, um, especially if you're if you're a um, lower middle class or poor, the, it's just the, the odds of you being able to get to break out of that, although they're better here than other places. It's just a cycle of years and years and years. It's very difficult to get out. And we do have more opportunities. But but, you know. He's telling these people that basically kind of had no hope of ever getting out of this system that my, this kingdom is not like that. You know, we're all one. And, and I, I thought, wow, how much hope that must have given them. And people here now, when they read that, they don't really understand the context and how much it must have meant to people during during that time. So. Um, I was like, wow, you know, there is there is a kingdom that is coming that is um, he just loves us. I mean, you know, it's not because of what we look like or skin color or or, our finances. It's, you know, we he loved us first and we we surrender and we want to we want to love and serve him. And because of that, you're you don't you don't have a higher status, so to speak. That's pretty cool. Yep. So I just kind of was pulling all that together as we were reading. I'm sorry. I don't know if I'm supposed to talk, but. Oh, yeah. We, 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 yeah. That, that that's, what, that's what these are for, for us to discuss these back and forth and for us to sharpen each other. That's why we do this on Friday nights. Okay, yeah, and that was so cool. Thank you for sharing. Isn't that cool, though, to just to have that hope when you didn't have it and to know that we we have the same promise and the same hope. That is so cool to me. I love that. That's beautiful insight. He is so good. Amen. I like the commentary about the uh, Deuteronomy 28 being um, second temple and this one, because this one just like this just kind of like with precise accuracy, just just broke down everything that was going on with Babylon and all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's the Kumash. I got it off Amazon, but you know, I also, also get it off of Art Scroll, but it's the Stone Edition Kumash. And I got it yesterday, but Mary's been reading out of it for, what, two months now? And every time she, she pulls the commentary out of it, it's like, whoa. 
Well, that's the thing that I see with um, even some people in this walk. Um, you know, when when you pull outside sources and you read other things, you know, especially if it's if it's Jewish in nature, uh, I, I'll have a you know we have a very small group where I live, and um, um, anyways, like a lot of times they'd be like, oh, I don't, they don't believe, and I, I don't want to, and I was like, but you listen, but you also listen to people who do believe, but, but don't obey. They don't believe that, you know, we need to be in covenant. We need to, you know, keep his commandments and, you know, walk in a certain way. I was like, they're the very people that told you, you didn't have to do this. I was like, I was like, I'm not saying you can't learn from either side. I was like, you, but you, there's a history and there is. Yeah. And understand the historical and cultural context is very key. And also you have to remember that, There's a Messiah ben Joseph, which we call the suffering servant, and then there's Messiah ben David. The first time Yeshua came, he was Messiah ben Joseph. And some of the commentary that I've seen says from the sages says that they missed Messiah ben Joseph, that they must have missed him, that they don't know who it was. That's super cool. Hmm. Wow. I've I've read like in some places that they expected there to be two, so to speak, and that mm-hmm. but there, I think that um, the way I was reading it, it was like they were expecting the the warrior, you know, first, and then the servant, kind of like second, like instead of the suffering servant coming first, but. Um, I just was doing this study about like the first century and, 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 um, and it was going through a bunch of stuff and it was talking about like how the, the Sanhedrin, not the Sanhedrin, but the Sadducees came about and it was talking about like, um, that, that the, the Pharisees had, not all of them were, you know, bad and that there were a couple of times that they had actually saved she was like, you know, that they had actually prevented the, the Sadducees people from, you know, although they did try to stone him a couple of times, but that the Sadducees were the ones. OK, they said that they came out from the what is the Hamoan, the ones that the Judah, um, the Hanukkah people. Um, I can't think of his name. Maccabees. But they're, they're, his name was um, started with an H. The Hasmoans. Hasmodians. Okay. Yes. So they he was saying that they came in. You know, Judah came in, and you know they they took the temple back, and um, they he, so they were like, okay, we don't really know what to do, and they you know they read the scrolls, and it was like, so they gave it back to the priest, but then some of them the Hasmodians, you know who were also priests um, I love that food. stayed sure. in that. But within 30 years, everything that they had fought to defeat, they had become that and that all of them had become, they became the Sadducees and that they had become completely corrupt. And it was about, you know, prestige and power and, and things like that. And, um, and I, I found that very interesting. I was just like, wow, I did not know that. But I mean, like it wasn't Judah that was corrupt. I mean, like it was his the sons after him. Within thirty years, 
they had become everything they had fought to get out of there. They they fell in love with Hellenism. They liked having toilets and fancy things. You know, they were going, going to the ball game. Yeah, yeah, the things that we like. I mean, I mean, we're very, we are. I mean, I I'm a, I'm not gonna lie. I lay down and I'm so thankful to have a roof and electricity, air condition, internet. I, I mean those are great things to have but they're not if they become if they compromise your walk and it seems to be that that's what happened to them and um that there was actually a smaller a much smaller number of pharisees and there were some corrupt pharisees as well but that they they weren't all all of them weren't corrupt and a lot of them actually believed you know Jesus at the time. So um, it kind of protected him sometime from some of the other more corrupt ones. But I thought that was so interesting just to get the context of, you know, here you are, you live in, in the desert, you live in the wilderness and all, you know, Alexander comes in and he builds all these beautiful towns from the ground up. And you're, I mean, you, you, you like that. And then your priests become corrupt and you're trying to just, just like we are now, just trying to obey the commandments in a world that is very Hellenistic, you know, and you're like, OK, I have to, I'm supposed to go to the temple. I know they're corrupt. How do you deal with that? You know, you've got no status because you're in the lower caste area. And all the Sadducees were priests, but the Hasmoneans who were were um, also Sadducees. Well, but they weren't priests, but they like they they agreed they liked everything they had because they were in a higher group and they had all the kind of finer things, too. So there was lots of them that were Jewish, but they were very Hellenistic and they did not want anything to go. You know, they liked their life and they were willing to kill Jesus over it because they did not want that. They didn't want to stop what they were doing. And and that would to me is exactly what's going on now. Yeah, I mean, mo I mean, modern modern Christianity doesn't want to give up the some the simplest things to give up, and it's like I've told people, I'm like, well, have you actually studied the foods that what what's called food in the Bible versus what's not called food in the Bible for the health risk? Because I went through a whole study on a, a bunch of that. Yeah. Well, it's like we want the blessings, but we don't want to do anything to mm -hmm. actually get the blessings. Yep. People will fight you over you have to do anything. And I believe the very first sentence in our Torah portion was if you obey. Mm -hmm. and, yep. and there was a comment. It was then I will. And he talked about all the great things he would do. You know. Yep. Um, yeah, it's all based on if then. If you do this, then this will happen. But, I mean, just like kind of reading that history helps me get out of the 21st century. It's very hard to me for me to think about with all the comforts I have now, what it must have been like to, you know, to live kind of very rural, you know, poor, just community. And then all this, you know, these great things come in and then these people that are willing to sacrifice, you know, the commandments to have this kind of prestige and everything else. I mean, we kind of see that now. I mean, I mean, would Jesus be welcome in the church right now or would he be called a heretic? 
Oh, he would definitely be called a heretic because he'd be like, um, no, I'm, I'm not God. <laughs> well, and you know, a lot of those things, um, we fight about this, all everything. I mean, I know like everybody says, you know, we're supposed to love our brother and be kind to him. I'm like, if you start at the front of this book, you find out that when more than two people get together, they're always fighting about something. There's just something always in us. It just seems like, yeah. um, I, I, I had made a statement. I was, I was talking to this lady. She was talking about her, her family and she, and how she loved her, her, um, how she loved God more than her children. And, and I made that statement. I said, I, I love him more than my children. And I bet about 200 people, told me what a terrible mother I was, how I was going to hell, that God never wanted that. I was like, is anybody cracking this book? Um, no, nope. but I, I, no. If we, I don't if, if, if we put God first and obey his commandments and we walk it out in front of our children, then our children end up walking out the commandments. And then they turn around and they do the same thing with their children. And then all of a sudden, our the new covenant's put in full effect and we're in the Olam Haba. But we have to get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there it in my in my conviction in this walk, I was like, search me and let's get rid of expose everything that I need to get rid of. And I was amazed and shocked, you know, how, you know, we just kind of generally people as people, we think, well, I'm a good person because we don't think about sin as being anything fun. We think about, oh, well, I don't lie and I don't kill and I don't steal you know, and things like, but they don't think about how much fun, you know, here's Christmas, you know, and, and it can be very idolatrous and you're not supposed to do it. And, mm-hmm. but it's fun. So they don't think about it like a sin. People tend to think of all the bad things. They don't tend to think about oh, this thing is so much fun. You know, should I check myself to see if maybe God would approve of this or not? But as, as he continued to, Show me that I was, you know, filthy rags. What one of the things he did show me is how much bondage I put my own self in because I didn't understand or know the word like I should know it. That things that I thought he expected from me that he never, he never put that on me. I put that on myself because I had an expectation in my mind that he, he, he wanted me to be a certain kind of mother, a certain kind of wife, certain kind of. But the, it wasn't in the biblical sense. It was just what I thought he mm-hmm. wanted. Like, and I, you wind up putting yourself in all of these, all this bondage. And like, once he started showing me, I never, I never told you to, you know, to be that or do that or go that direction. And I, I repented. I mean, I could not believe how much bondage that just my own self, not, I mean, not even the world and the things like that, but just your own your own heart, like he was, you were talking about in Jeremiah, will put you in. I mean, and it, it I can't believe how much freedom that, that you know, this walk is. It's, it is freedom. There's not bondage in it. It is freedom. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. And I mean, I've just, I've been doing it for years and I walked away for a while just because like my husband and I were, we are not on the same page. And when the kids were little and I wanted to do all it's like, you ain't doing this and we ain't doing this. And this is what we're going to do. I stayed. And uh, I just, 
you know, I don't know. I just, I believed a lot of my own lies that I, I convinced myself. And then, but he, he allowed me to come back into the walk and he, and then, then he has brought fruit by freeing me from my, all the years of bondage that I put myself in and trying to, you talking about, somebody was talking about evangelizing, you know, I thought I needed to just you know, like hammer it into my kids. You know, my kids are grown and just hammered in my kids because I taught them lies and I felt okay. responsible. And I mean, and it, you know, it to a point where it's causing division between us. And I mean, I just got on my face and I was like, you know, God, what am I doing wrong? He's like, I never told you to do that. See, I just had that expectation that I needed to go fix that instead of just trusting him to deliver them from the, from the lies they inherited because he, he, he delivered us from the lies we inherited. Mm-hmm. So I need to trust him. So, I mean, it's just, it was just really cool. Like how he freed me from that, but it wasn't until I said, search me and, and what, what have I, what stumbling block have I put in place for me? You know, and then he started showing me all this bondage and it was, it was the best ride. It was so painful. <laughs> And yeah. it was so hard, but it was the most freeing and most beautiful thing. And I see it all the time with like, you know, other friends and family, the bondage that they've put themselves in that they don't even realize that. So it's always good to like check yourself and say, God, you show me the bondage I put my own self in that I thought you wanted me to be. That's pretty cool. Yeah. He'll show you, he'll show up, he'll be on your face. But you'll be free, so there you go. <clears throat> I'm, I'm I wonder if that word. Um, go ahead. When you said, um, "Someone, it's someone thirty-nine, isn't it?" Search me for any offensive way. Lead me in the everlasting way. I wonder if that okay. word "offensive" is linked to the hostile slash casual slash contrary word of. Uh, Leviticus 26. Oh, snap. <laughs> and, wow. And, that could be I cool. Also, yeah. Um, we'll probably find that out. Then I wanted to uh, also just, um, as you're describing your the process, judgment is calling good, good, and bad, bad. And a lot of Wisdom is giving up our judgment, fearing God, uh, departing from our evil, our previous you know, pretenses of what we thought was good and what we thought was bad, just trusting him. And so when we submit to his judgment, we receive his discipline. He promises that as many as he loves, he disciplines. Discipline is then this process of rewarding what is good and punishing what is bad. And it's this conditioning that we submit to, and it's corrective, and it leads us to life. So it's I see that you encountered and walked and submitted and trusted and demonstrated faith in the judge received his discipline as your father. And through this, he has corrected your judgment and 
restored your walk, and he's removed that yoke. Um, we saw Leviticus 26, um, and so that would to enable you to walk uprightly the way that you were made to in this freedom, step by step with his spirit. And this is the love that fulfills his commandment and leads to leads through everlasting life. So I'm just like, everything that you're saying, your story is so true and faithful to the scriptures and who God is and what he, who he says he is and what he says he does, that it's just all really, um, really confirming. Thank you for um, testifying that he is wow. who he is and he does what he does. Wow. I just testified. You just testified to me, so I needed to hear that. That was wow. Well, if you're ready, we can get into the New Testament portion for the week. I'm sorry, I, I took up a, a time. Oh, oh, it's fine. It's fine. That's what it's, we normally it's don't awesome. get to the New Testament portion. Yeah. So this yeah. is even this is cool. <laughs> We're booking it. <laughs> yeah. Without so. even trying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the portions I find that shows how the New Testament and Old Testament tie together. So it helps us build our apologetics and a, a way of defending ourselves and giving us the the ammunition we need for whenever they're like, well, why do you keep that? Well, you know, this ties to this. You know, so. But I'll, I'll grab the first portion of the New Testament. It's Matthew 7, 21 through 27. Not everyone who saith, Unto, ma- unto me, Master, Master, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. So what's the will of the Father? Fear God, keep his commandments. Yep. Many will say to me in that day, Master, Master, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, in thy name done many wonderful works? Then I'll profess unto them, I never knew you that... I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. That scares me right there. Therefore, whosoever heareth these things, these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house that fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. What's the rock? Yeshua. The Torah. Torah. And Yeshua is the living embodiment of the Torah. Mm -hmm. Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. The rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Don't want to talk about any of that. Mm. What scares me is the verse that says, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. After they said, Look, we did all this great stuff for you. That's kind of like your your testimony, Terry. Uh, you were talking about. Well, I didn't tell you to do that. He's been telling us just to keep the commandments. 
all this other stuff, you know, we're really not told to do that. We, We can do it if we want, but for keeping the commandments and we're showing others to keep the commandments and they see the light in us and they start keeping the commandments, then those demons and all those other things will leave them. Because the parable about the the man with one demon that leaves and it goes through the dry place and then after a while seven more come back. Well, the only way those seven more could come back is if he wasn't obeying the commandments. So, if you go back to your sin, it's just going to get worse. That's true. So, do you do you think "depart from me"? I never knew you. Is um, I always wondered if that was you know because even our our people that walk in our way they say you know you have to believe and that is you to be saved. So I always wondered like if in 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 the millennial reign like the nations would they be maybe people that believe but didn't obey. You know, like if there's if he's ruling and reigning for a thousand years, then who are the people that are the nations? Like it's those that, it's, it's those who have not accepted, who did not o- obey the testimony, did not they didn't have both the commandments and the testimony of Yeshua. That's what I always kind of thought it would be. That would be an opportunity as the tour goes forth, because right. I, I just I don't think he wants. If you don't, if you're not going to be happy there, he doesn't want you there, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, and you have that opportunity to decide if you just really want to do it his way or not. It's kind of yep. what we, I was thinking. Yep. And if we get into the actual cultural thought process of what belief means in Hebrew, belief is an action. It's not just a thought. So, it's the same in Greek. <clears throat> Pistis is also fidelity and faithfulness um, as much as it is belief. Um, it's a um, there's a that pistis word is not purely mental. Mm-hmm. It's also um, but the, okay. uh, just like the idea of having faith but not works, like in James when he's talking about that. Um, it's like saying that you're faithful to your wife and claiming that you're faithful to your wife, but every day you're going out and you're cheating. Right. Like, no, you're not faithful. You might be saying you're faithful, but you're not. Same thing with faith. If you claim that you have faith, but you don't have works, that's the exact same thing. I think about this as like um, bungee jumping or something. Oh, yeah, I trust the bungee jump. I, I trust that cord. I'm not going to fall and hit the rocks. All right, then jump. <laughs> it's like out there and then you're like uh no or some people are like all right yeah i will jump and, and there's really a test there of of faith <laughs> are you coming and saying lord lord are you saying this bungee cord is true <laughs> but not really willing to depend not really willing to put your life down on it or are you willing to take the plunge and it's not always so apparently that extreme of life well, and death, but it is life and death and blessing and curse as he lays before us in Deuteronomy 30. 
Come. There's also the aspect of people who are uh, where where God says, you know, here's a here's a bungee cord. I want you to take this and jump. Do you believe me that you'll be safe? And then some people saying, oh, yeah, I believe you, except that Jesus did away with the bungee cord, so I don't need it. Off we go. Splat. <laughs> and that's, yeah. <laughs> so, it's insightful. <laughs> yeah, I just, I wonder, like, um, I just feel like I, I don't know that it appears that we might be the last generation, but we don't know a hundred percent. But I mean that this generation where they didn't have access to all the knowledge, you know, and I use that in quotations that we have, they, you know, um, we have the Holy spirit. We have all, we have every single I mean, we're we're looking words up right now as we speak. We're probably, you know, in different states and we're communicating. So knowledge is going to and fro. And I mean, how do we how do we not how do we have any excuses as as as, as this generation to not know? Because it seems like the more access we have to the to be able to find the truth, to look things up, to test the scriptures, the dumber we have become like we're we're not not necessarily us it's complacency everyone's gotten comfortable they've got comfortable with what they've been taught for so long that they don't want to research it i mean we're offended we're offended too like Mm -hmm. there are where it's not just and we can kind of be insulated in other conversations in the synagogues, but I'm struck sometimes at the, how much of the majority of the world is not only against the commandments, but against the commandment giver. Yes. Yeah. Um, that Yuval Harari, I don't know if y'all are familiar with him. Um, the way he speaks about, God and he he allegedly says he's an observant Jew. I'm like he's an anti he's an anti messiah he's an antichrist. I don't know if he's the antichrist, but the way he speaks about him so and he's and the, it's not just that is he's so powerful like he's the head advisor of the World Economic Forum. These people these people that control the world they call him a prophet. Um, they believe what he says and uh, he speaks so blasphemy and blatant and arrogant about about God I mean of course he's 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 Jewish so he's not a believer but even though he about God and I'm like that it it terrifies me I'm like these people think like he does and the rest of us are um so completely I feel like we're just so much more ignorant. I mean, the people in Paul's time, you know, like if you lived in a, like outside of Jerusalem, just say, and there was a synagogue, they may have a scroll. They may have Genesis or they may have Leviticus or in in Isaiah. They're not even going to have them all. And they had so much less of a limited access. We have the book. I don't know how many Bibles y'all have, but I'm sure if we put all of our Bibles together, 
there would be hundreds of them, you know, um, and they, they just couldn't go sit down and read the word like we can. But I feel like we are we are so much more ignorant than they were with with the lack of access. I, I just I don't. I know that, that, you know, the evil plan has been in place for a long time, but I mean, how do we, how are we with, how can we stand before him with any excuse? I mean, it just, that's the, that's the only thing about this generation. We never had this, this type of access to the word probably ever in history. I mean, since the beginning. Um, And yet here we are the most ignorant of the word that I've ever seen. And I mean, I'm in my fifties, you know, um, but I've just never seen such ignorance. I mean, it's insane. What 38,000 different denominations. And I've had people tell me when we've talked about, you know, why I don't do Christmas and why, well, that's not what our denomination believes. And I'm like, what, you know, okay. What about the word? (laughs) Like the one that matters, the book, (laughs) Yeah, I always say, so you don't want to take seven days off for unleavened bread and spend that with your family and friends and fellowship? You don't want to take eight days off for Sukkot or eight days off for Hanukkah? I mean, you get more time to spend with your family with God's feast days than you do with the world's feast days. Yeah. It will be interesting to see as things continue to get darker, um, you know, we, we, we rely on our systems here in this country so much. And they're, you know, they're basically a system of Greek and Rome. You know, we have healthcare systems, educational systems, judicial systems, political systems. And it's just like right now with, with the terrible tragedy that happened, everybody's standing up and demanding that the government fix it. So when this wheat thing and this COVID thing and all of these other things that are are coming, people get so desperate and they're like, we demand that you fix it. Yeah, the government's not going to fix it because we turned away from God and disobeyed him. I don't know if y'all knew this, but Christmas wasn't allowed in the United States until I think 1836. The uh, People that came over were actually trying to keep the feast. If I'm reading the history correct, so yeah. they weren't keeping Christmas or Easter until 1836 when the Catholic Church found its way in. And since then, and we we started breaking the commandments. We see how much of a down spiral our country's gone, and it's just gotten worse and worse. Yeah. Well, I feel like we're you know the altar judgments, everything being circular. We've seen the altar judgments several times in the in, all over the book i mean mm-hmm. uh, and i feel like we're we're seeing that now globally um yep. and it but i mean you know just like he told you know jeremiah and even isaiah there was a point where he was like don't pray for them i this is what's going to happen i i'm judgment is going to happen I, it's going to be i'm executing it you know i don't want them to repent this is going to happen and i wonder sometimes like are we there or or is is our nation who professed him you know and we have alleged you know we're supposed to be representing him 
and uh, you know, we we seem to be profaning him and breaking everything you know that everything he has. Um, is are we to the point in this country where he's like, you know, it's no longer if my people, you know, call by my name, repent, um, and humble themselves and repent, I'll heal their land. You know, maybe maybe we've gone beyond that now. Maybe it's like, okay, I'm sending out the judgments. I'm executing the plan. You know, I'm no longer hearing that. I'm turning my ear from from the repentance because judgment is 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 here. I just wonder, you know, sometimes if if maybe that's where we're at. I mean, I realize every generation has their tribulation. I mean, and this may be the tribulation of our generation. It may not be the tribulation, but we all have them and we all should respond to them in from the book, you know, in the way that the father wants us to reflect him in the midst of this tribulation. I think that's super important. Um, It will be interesting to see. Um, what will happen to the ones that that you know are are claiming him and, and not representing him in a way that would be pleasing um, to him? I believe that the greatest generation, as they're called, um, may have been the Josiah generation, mm-hmm. if our history parallels Judah, a period of time where people repented from a lot of the debauchery of the 20s because of the discipline that came in the 30s. And we did see a great display of strength and courage and faithfulness in the early 40s, which followed up by a time of prosperity um, and throughout the 40s and 50s until really the 60s um, had a huge collapse of moral decay. And... Um, we we've kind of we kind of saw we've seen a few revival efforts mm-hmm. come, but I mean they 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 turned into mockeries pretty pretty quickly, and um, just looking at kind of the the general chaos of the leadership sense, um, like you look at the kings who followed Josiah, and it was like. <laughs> I mean, it's similar to now where it's like, we're going this way, and then we're going this way, we're going this way, and then it just kind of died within. So I am, I am, I'm not, um, I, I've been becoming more convinced that we are, um, <laughs> that we're past our Josiah revival. Yeah. Uh, I'm always going to hold out a little bit of hope, but yeah, it, it, it appears at this point that we are past that. I um, it was just kind of like what we were talking a little bit, reading over our um, the uh, two foundations parable. I, I didn't hear where it was coming from at first, so I read it in Luke six um, verses forty-six to forty-nine first. Um, kind of, parallel um, but then moved over to seven because of the depart from the lawbreakers the one point that i want to say here is that in our lifetime in a lifetime we may have a time that we build our house on the sand and saw it collapse and then the second opportunity to uh, a point of repentance to 
build another house on a rock. And there may have been a time early in our life where we said, Lord, Lord, but didn't do what he told us. And we were like, you know, we, we did believe in the Lord at that time. We did believe that the Lord our God is one. We did believe in the testimony, but we weren't really living faithfully. And uh, we sure did suffer for it. The collapse of that house was great. But um, I appreciate that there's a... Um, I'm just thankful that we, we do often have an opportunity to build again. Having learned about what happens when you build on sand and mm -hmm. ha having found the rock. Okay, I like the next section we've got, John 14, 15 through 21. Go ahead and read it. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, pray. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you, I will come to you. yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, I live thee shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. I started right there with keep, keep the commandments. If you love me, keep the commandments. That's beautiful. I love it. Isn't that what, what the Torah portion started with was if you do mm -hmm. this? Yeah. I always tell people God's his love language is obedience. I mean, if we truly have faith in him, then we'll obey him out of love. That simple. Well, I mean, you don't expect to get married and you know, both you both stand up there, you and your wife, and you're like, Hey, I promise to be faithful and love you and do all that and then you get married and then she's promised and you promise and you've but everything you do after you get married doesn't show that you love that person. Do you really do you love that person? I mean, maybe in some confluted messed up way i mean you know of course you know in this day and age but your actions you know I, I was always told i was always told you listen to the words you trust the behavior if the if the words and the behavior line up then you know that is a that person is a person of their word you know um they can be trusted so if you profess to marry someone and you're constantly cheating on them Although they say they love you, your version, you know, this is you've 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 both decided, hey, love is monogamous. It's this, that, and the other. Um, 
or, you know, just if he's, this is how you show love. You're monogamous in this relationship, but yet you're not. Then, I mean, it, to me, it doesn't matter how many times you say it or even say you sorry. Um, you know, what you're not lining up with what you say you do when you say are two different things and you're not, that doesn't show me that you love me. It shows me the opposite. And I was just kind of felt like that in our relationship with him. Like he he's faithful no matter what we do. So the least we can do is show him and with our words and our actions match. We love you and we're willing to surrender. We're willing to do it your way. We're willing to humble ourselves. And, you know, I mean, it, to me, I think that's the coolest thing ever. I mean, every day I'm like, God, I just, I submit my mind will emotions. I just, I just want to please him. It makes me just to think that, that like I could actually please him is the coolest thing ever. I would, I don't, you know, I don't care about any of that other stuff anymore. I'm like, I want to please him. And I, I, I feel like if we reflect, if we, I mean, just think about like if all of us walked in the commandments and we, you know, we took care of the orphans and the poor and the the widows and, you know, and we were keeping commandments. What what if we had done this as a nation or even half a nation instead of yelling, screaming to everybody saying, you know, you're going to hell because you're committing adultery and you're gay and blah, blah, blah. Instead of doing all of those things, what if we had just walked out his word? And they saw the blessings and, and they saw the way the community that we had and people would be looking and be like, I think I want to know that God. And they come in and instead of do, kind of doing like they did in Acts and being like, here's some basic five things. And as you get to know him, you, you before you ever get circumcised, let, let get to know him because you may decide you don't want to change your life and live this way. And if you don't want to be in this, you certainly don't need to be getting circumcised. You know, um, what if we had just done that? I mean, maybe we wouldn't be in the, so at odds at each other and, you know, people would not resent God and think he's oppressive, you know, because he doesn't want you to be who you are and love. What if we just had done those things and they just seen him through us? Maybe things would have been different. I don't know. You were just, <clears throat> well, Yahweh promised exactly what would happen. And that's the blessings portion of Leviticus 26. We would get rain at the right time. The land would yield produce. The trees of the field would bear their fruit. We would be the righteous trees of Isaiah 61. We would be a forest of a healthy forest, a strong forest, a fruitful forest. And we would... I mean, that's all we can do now. Yeah. God's been tainted by so many people that have been screaming at them, you know, you're going to hell for this, this, and this. And oh, by the way, you know, I... So they have no concept of who he really is. And they resent the picture he's been presented as so the only all that we can do is walk that way and and in hopes that they'll see the light and they'll be like huh and they'll come to you and start asking you like i feel like as a country we're we're in trouble like we have 
not handled his word properly. And we stand up here and beat our chest and say, this is God's country, you know. And and then here we look how we've handled all of that. I'm glad that he gives us an opportunity that I know he, he gives us opportunity after opportunity to repent and return. But I mean, look how Israel handled it and look what happened. to. I mean, you know, and then he he even brought us back after he scattered us and allowed the whole world to be grafted in. Through, through the blood, the atonement, and the resurrection, and and we had this opportunity, you know, to to not really screw that up, and we just continued to repeat the same cycle from the beginning to the end. The same cycle seems to be repeated. I, I don't understand why we can't, you know, go forth and let the spirit lead. But I'm grateful that he that there is a remnant. That you know that there people, so many people are coming out now. Like y'all were talking about the person finder, and like there was one or two, and then now there's ten, and now there's hundreds, and and you're seeing it all over. You're seeing it globally. I mean, I'm seeing globally like people coming in and coming out of Egypt, so to speak, and coming back to to the ancient ways. It, it's it's such a as bad as things are, it's such a wonderful time to be alive to see these things, you know, and it's, I think it's really important for us to administer that that justice and mercy and, and love while we walk out and proclaim him by keeping Sabbath and, and his, his feast and walking, we're proclaiming him and they, and more people are seeing it as it's so cool to be alive during this time. I just love it. Definitely a beautiful thing. Isn't it? I mean, things are so dark and they're so, but you see his light everywhere you look. You see, look at the opportunity. We didn't have this opportunity to meet like this. And there weren't, you know, like you said, it started growing in 09. I came, I came to this knowledge in, I don't know, maybe 2000 and there was nobody. <laughs> I mean, nobody. And you just, you know, it was right when the computer kind of, people started getting in their home and, and, and I'm seeing all this stuff and I'm, I'm in church and I'm like, this is not lining up and the Holy Spirit's tugging and, and, and I'm, you know, you're scared. You're like, you know, my mom thought a witch, some witch had got a hold of me and that's how she came out trying to prove me wrong. Um, the father started working on her and then you, all of a sudden he starts putting people just like it be one or two or five or ten or whatever in your life like running into the path of somebody who's like-minded. It is so cool what he's doing with us. 